You are listening to Bear in Mind, the University of Northern Colorado's official podcast. Join us each episode as we listen to the voices from UNC faculty, staff, students, and alumni as they offer insights of local or national importance. This is your host, Dan N. Cox, bringing you just a taste of UNC. What made you get into the medieval times? In high school, my junior year, our teacher gave us a list of books that we had to read independently and then do a report on. The book that I chose was Marion Zimmer Bradley's The Mists of Avalon, which tells the Arthurian legend from a feminist viewpoint, specifically that of Morgan Le Fay, and I was hooked. And so since then, I've been you know, anything that is even remotely Arthurian, I'm reading or watching or listening to or playing video games. And the medieval period, particularly in the, the late medieval period, 13th to 16th century is where a lot of the King Arthur stories are being written. And I just, I love the material. It's so much fun. It's so fascinating. The language is a lot of fun. But also, and the more that I study the medieval period, so often people see it as a very different time. In fact, a lot of times people emphasize those differences, trying to say, well, the modern is better because we're no longer doing all these medieval, violent, vicious things. But the more I study the medieval, the more I see the connections with the modern and just some ways how little we have changed. So it becomes a study of who we are today as well as in the 15th, 16th century. What are some similarities? Oh, attitudes towards others, attitudes particularly in terms of others, in terms of their, their racial, religious, ethnic differences, and all that fear of the other, we still see a lot of that today. And even to some extent, you know, what people eat, what and, and how they eat it. Now, since, you know, one of the topics that you brought to me was that of medieval food. And so we have all kinds of records, not just literature, but also we have recipe books from the Middle Ages. We have records that talk about the types of food that was being produced in villages. So we have a sense of what people ate. And you know, and we also have a lot of religious writings that, that chastise people for eating certain things or eating, th eating things in a certain way. For example, we still have this saying, you are what you eat. And so a lot of during the medieval period, people took that rather literally. For example, rabbits. Rabbits have a tendency to breed a lot and to breed very quickly. And so there was this fear that if you ate too much rabbit meat, you would take on qualities of the rabbit. That is, you would become oversexed and that would then lead you to sin. And so we have a lot of religious writings that actually discourage people from eating foods like rabbits, you know, just because of what effect it might have on their spiritual souls, things like that. Were there any remedies with food? Say, I have a rash, I should eat a particular type of chipmunk? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And this goes back um, pretty far in the medieval period. We have these um, manuscripts called herbiaries. And they are essentially, they're, they're medical 
documents. Now, in fact, I, a lot of them have been proven to not to actually have any kind of medicinal value. But every now and then, I think a couple years ago, some people found were looking at a um, one of these books and found something that actually has medicinal value against the bubonic plague. And also, some of these actually worked. But so we have a lot of recipes, both for you know recipes for in the kitchen, but also recipes that uh, those associated with medicine would put together and so they would include you know types of food you know if, if you're having a stomach ache this is what you should be eating if you have a headache eat this sometimes it'd be a matter of of putting things together and creating a poultice of some sort to mm. put on the head or somewhere else but absolutely had they had a lot of interesting ideas about um, ways to use natural ingredients around them what you ate also indicated what class you were in and I, nowadays, we tend to talk about America as a melting pot. This is a place where anyone can pull themselves up by their bootstrap or you, anyone can become president. In the Middle Ages, especially, specifically in England, since that's where most of my research focuses on, there was some social mobility, especially in the beginning of the 14th, 15th century. Things like the bubonic plague had a massive impact mm. on the social structure, and so people had more flexibility. And the way that people interacted with food at that time certainly changed. But we have a lot of texts, both within the literature and then more historical documents, where what you eat dictates what class you are, for example, a food like deer meat venison, very protein rich and a very good food. I, you know, of course, with any food, too much of any one type of food is bad. But mm -hmm. um, this is a time period one when, from the 11th century on, we have really strict rules about hunting and all this whole series of laws called forest laws. All of the forests belong to the king, and so only the king and those who had his permission were allowed to hunt. So then, of course, we get stories like Robin Hood because we have all these people who, prior to the 11th century, grew up hunting in their areas, but all of a sudden were being forbidden to. And so one of the things that happens is we have a lot of texts written by those of the upper class encouraging those of the lower classes to not eat things like meat or any kind of rich food and often they'll say well if you eat these rich foods it's gonna make you sick and so stick with the barley stick with the oats stick with you know just the cabbage things like that um, but as we know now especially if you limit your diet in a certain way, that's going to impact your physical being and how large and how strong you are and what kind of, of strength you might have. That. And then again, that's reinforcing these social class ideas. And often the access to food goes beyond just human relationships, but also human and animal. For example, mm -hmm. in the hunt, you know, they had really strict rules about what you could eat and how you had to prepare it, especially... Uh, when you go hunting, you need to make sure that you know before you cook the meat, you have to drain out any kind of blood because consuming blood would have been seen as as very dangerous, as very sinful. But you also had to make sure that a human was the one who killed the animal mm. that you are then going to eat. You know, if you come across a deer carcass that has been killed by wolves, for example, you do not eat it. You know, and nowadays you. I know some people, they're driving down the road and they see some roadkill and they might be tempted. Back in the Middle Ages, no, 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 no. 
And so within the, the, the hunt, no matter what social class you were, you had to make sure that the human was the one delivering the killing blow. There's a scene in the 14th century Sir Gawain in the Green Knight where we have a series of hunting scenes. The lord who is leading the hunt, Bertilac, the when he is hunting a boar, for example, a wild boar, a very dangerous animal, a very uh, prestigious animal to kill because they were so dangerous. Hmm. Sharp, or Their tusks were often described as swords. Their hides were thick like shields, so they were a knight in mm -hmm. themselves. And in this poem, uh, the boar hunt starts out with dogs hunting, leading the, leading the way, baying, tracking. But when they finally have the boar cornered, they have to, the humans call off all of the animals so the, the Bertilac can go in and deliver the killing stroke. And some of that is just so that Bertilac can have the glory of being the one who is killed. But at the same time, too, it's all part of this hierarchy because then later, once the boar has been killed and the body has been uh, butchered, there's the dispersal of meat and the type of meat that you get from the kill indicates your social rank. But again, the best parts, the most rich, nu nutritious parts would be reserved for the upper classes. And I'll, but, but yeah, it'd be distributed to the dogs, to the trainers, to the, the, the beaters, that is people who would move through and make a lot of noise to help try to drive the animals in a certain way. My name is Kristen Boverd Abbo, or Dr. Boverd Abbo to my students, and I am an associate professor of English here at UNC. So I'm really excited about this, uh, the Life of the Mind program. I will be teaching a course, I think it's Mind 288, and I'm going to be focusing it on Game of Thrones. So I'm not quite sure how much of this series we will actually be covering and we will certainly be talking about both the literature as well as HBO's TV series. And I imagine food will come up because there are some really interesting uh, things like Red Weddings where there's food involved and especially the way that uh, where Arya, what Arya has ended up doing in the last season that involves eating. Uh, and so uh, yeah, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, Keep an eye out for that on next fall or next spring schedule.